1: Testing one, two. Okay, it is Jen here and I am a little nervous about tomorrow, but you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. My dad did um, spend the night tonight at my brother's house, too, so he's upstairs, they're all watching football or something. So, yeah, we'll all be waking up in the morning, kind of. (laughs) Hopefully not getting ready for battle, but I don't know, getting ready for something, something different than what we've done before.
2: Welcome to How To, I'm Amanda Ripley. All right, Todd, maybe come a little bit closer because I'm kind of pointed. Me. Today is the day we've been waiting for. We're going to see if one American family can flip the usual tortured, tedious script for arguing about politics and do something way more interesting.
1: Like the goals here are not to make anyone look stupid. The goals are not to win an argument or change someone to...
3: This isn't a debate team exercise. <laughs> this is
1: not a debate team exercise. This that's, is, a, that's
3: a good point. It's not a debate.
1: It's not a debate. It's a conversation. It's an exploration.
2: On last but week's show, siblings Jen and Todd Brandel got a marathon coaching session from Monica Guzman, author of I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times.
4: Conversations about politics are proxies for so many other ways that we just want to be understood. Monica prepared
2: them for how to have a hard conversation in a new way, with the goal being understanding, not agreement. This is something she knows a lot about from talking to her own parents and from her day job at Braver Angels, an organization working to depolarize America. We heard a lot of surprising and useful tips in that episode. So if you haven't listened, definitely check that one out first. But don't forget to come back, because today is the main event. We get the unusual chance to be a fly on the wall and listen in on Jen and Todd's conversation with their dad, Bruce. And yes, they all gave us permission to do this. And then we're going to offer a little ringside commentary along the way. To be clear, this conversation is edited. Their talk was about three hours in real life, which is very impressive, but a little long for a single podcast episode. So we tried to pull out the most meaningful moments, for better and for worse, so we can all learn from their example. Because a few weeks back, you sent an email called,
1: like, I used to be a normal person. You know, it's like, I used to be a normal person, but I came from a white, privileged upbringing, and so now I'm a racist and responsible for slavery. And then it kept going through, like, I used to be this, but now I'm an Islamophobe or whatever. And I read that. a
5: change of definition, what may have meant something in the 1950s, 70s, 2000, and now, the same words that used to be somewhat benign. Yeah, have become inflammatory, or the issues. Can I, can I
1: pause us real quick? I'm sorry, not to. I, I want to like get us into a new conversation flow, so I just want to like finish the um, thought of what I was saying.
2: In okay, so for those of you listening at home, maybe try to play along with us. Notice when you hear something different from the usual political discourse these days. How are they trying to get underneath? the talking points, to maybe even answer the big mystery. Why is our dad forwarding us these politically provocative emails? What does he like really blood want? Blood pressure rising,
1: kind of sweaty hands, kind of feeling really mad. And I had this moment of like, should I respond? How, how should I respond? And Todd sent me an email back with some of his ideas of what he would say, but he didn't send it. And it did make me wonder in a, in a sincerely curious way, like, what, what are your goals in sending those emails? Or what are your intentions in, in sending those emails to folks?
5: Uh, I like to listen to all the sides. Uh, and I take it almost like reading a far side comic. There's obviously some reality within the statement as absurd as it can be. And I think that's where instead of just reading it and kind of taking it as a light brush, it becomes a heavy canvas. It's like, oh, those are really your beliefs. Well, no, it's just kind of a comment on how this uh, definition or movement or comments are being inflammatory when it used to be kind of a semi-joke or or just a, you know, it's interesting that you're getting all upset because I said black, white, Jewish, everything seems to have an edge.
1: Mm. Well, so if I can play back and make sure I understand you right, are you saying you're sending that email to all of us and, you know, family and some friends as well, uh, because it's a way of you wanting to show here's what some people are thinking, or is this what you think? I'm, I'm curious to know, like not the content of the email, but you know, this yeah, is well, one of many political emails.
3: What I want to know is what causes someone in in this case, you in particular to have received that email and think, I need to send this on, hmm. uh. I
5: think I'm trying to stir the pot more than I'm trying to do anything of saying, I haven't been able to communicate to you guys that there's this much difference. I don't understand what happened to uh, respect, responsibility, and compromise.
1: So just getting back to the emails, is it, it sounds like you're saying you're not entirely made up in your mind, but your hope in sending this stuff along, which you, you may resonate with on some level, is to have the recipient's... Consider kind of what some people are feeling. Is that right?
5: Yes. I think it's more, here's a perspective from a different source and from, usually I'm sending it from the opposite side.
1: What's of, the, What do you mean what's the, opposite? Opposite?
5: Uh, uh, the opposite? More conservative. The opposite side more of self like More self-determining, uh-huh. where I feel you guys are more for social equality. Uh, I believe in opportunity. But I also believe that the individual is still the most important aspect. And I don't like giving up individual respect, responsibility, and and obligation to a government, a religion, or any of that.
3: And I I understand that, and I just, I I guess the disconnect I still feel is, how does that goal get achieved by sending inflammatory, contextless emails? And that's where I get tripped up by this stuff, because you and I will have a lot of very in-depth conversations and we'll emerge from those fundamentally agreeing on a lot of our core values. And I'll feel pretty good about it. And then a few days later, I'll get some insane right-wing email forward with no context, no explanation, no preamble. And I'm like, okay, we're back to square zero.
5: Maybe that's because you're taking it as that those are my beliefs?
3: Because there's nothing to tell me they're not. There's no have, framing not. or context of the, of, the, of the message.
5: And that's somewhat by intent?
2: Is it? Yeah. So, Monica, any thoughts listening to this initial back and forth?
4: I mean, wow. I, mean, I was already pretty riveted. I, w- I wanted to keep hearing it. There <laughs> you it
1: three was. Three more hours. Where that's that came amazing. From. I know, that's <laughs> a lot.
4: But I mean, that it felt to me like a pretty good launch. Already, you can hear
2: Jen and Todd start to use a few of Monica's techniques. But will it be enough? After a quick break, we'll hear some more and then start to analyze what's landing and what isn't. Don't go anywhere. Apple Card is the perfect cashback
3: rewards credit card.
6: This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender.
2: We're back with author Monica Guzman, our conflict whisperer, who's listening to the tape of Jen and Todd trying to change how they talk to their
4: dad about politics. I noticed Jen, when you interrupted and said, can I pause us real quick before you started diving into the content? I mean, your dad wanted to react as soon as you brought up the emails and wanted to explain some piece of it. But you you very delicately just brought him back to say, "Okay, can we reiterate the goals of the whole conversation? And that was notable. Definitely um, noticed, too, when you, you, you got to that question very clearly. You had communicated the physical response that you get with the email, you know, and that made me curious, what are your goals when you send this? And so from there, it was really interesting because he seemed to be exploring his way to an answer, which he eventually got to at the end of a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. but you were really listening to help guide him toward that answer. And you interrupted at one point to paraphrase or loop.
2: Looping is a deep listening technique that I've learned from conflict mediators, and now I use it all the time and I've trained hundreds of journalists on it. Essentially, anytime you're having a conversation with any emotion, it's a really useful way to prove to the other person that you're trying to get them. First, you distill what they're telling you into the most elegant language you can muster. Then, and this is the most important part, check to see if you got it right. There's a bunch of reasons for doing this, all of them backed up by the research. But the bottom line is people need to feel heard before they will listen. If you do this, if you earnestly try to get them, you will stay present, you will actually be listening, not thinking of your next point, and you will show them that you're really trying. It lowers people's guard. Let's revisit this example of Jen looping her dad. It sounds
1: like you're saying, you're not entirely made up in your mind, but your hope in sending this stuff along, which you, you may resonate with on some level, is to have the recipients consider kind of what some people are feeling. Is that right? Jan and Todd, what, are you, what were you thinking listening to this a second time? Yeah, you know, listening to it a second time, I feel like I heard him more deeply. And, and heard uh-huh. some other points that I didn't quite hear in the moment because I was kind of looking for like, have you actually thought about why you're sending this? And I think at the end of the day, the, the answer is, I have a sense, but I haven't articulated it even to myself. Like I don't exactly know why I'm doing it, but I feel compelled. And you know we we got to the reasons why. And w- what was really surprising and helpful for me, was hearing that he himself had not made up his mind and that he felt confused, which is something I think that mm. takes a degree of vulnerability, you know, to say, I don't know what I think. And I'm sending mm. these as some kind of a way to be like, wow, let's engage on this topic, even though, like Todd said, there's no context. So we wouldn't have not known that that was his goal. Mm. Um, but that that was really illuminating for me because he is someone who is pretty, you know, declarative in how he feels and doesn't often say things like I'm confused. And that was nice to hear and made me soften toward him, um, knowing that he could admit that, which was a nice surprise.
3: So what I heard there was a little bit of roundabout out loud thinking to disclaim responsibility for
1: the emails.
3: <laughs> that too. <laughs> and basically saying, these these aren't my opinions. This this is just somebody else. And I'm not even sure what to think. And it, it kind of goes along with the like, hey, I'm just asking questions, you know, model of, mm-hmm. of inflammatory rhetoric <laughs> that we hear. So that's kind of what I took from it was.
2: Did it felt to you like a dodge?
3: Yeah. I yeah. sent this thing. I could tell it upset okay. you guys. So. I don't want you to think of that I did this on purpose. So I'm just going to say I threw it out there. as just you know as a food for thought.
4: You know he he started by saying yeah I've been trying to stir the pot. You know he said I haven't been able to communicate something about the importance I give to respect responsibility and compromise. He said uh, what seemed like a really resonant kind of value statement. I, I believe you know you all are about social equality and I believe in opportunity. But I believe that. The individual is the most important aspect. So that was sort of a value statement that he seems to want. I don't know. I wondered if he just wanted that acknowledged somehow.
2: Values are really important, but not as simple as they sound. In Monica's book, she highlights the work of Israeli social psychologist Shalom Schwartz, who condenses a seemingly infinite amount of human values into just 10, including hedonism, achievement, power, security, and conformity. What makes us each different is where we rank each value, which guides our behavior, and also how we judge other people based on their rankings. Monica's advice is to stop assuming that people who disagree with us don't value what we value. Instead, ask the question, what do they value more?
3: I guess the disconnect I still feel is, how does that goal get achieved by sending inflammatory, contextless emails?
5: What's frustrating to me is that you thought a lot of what I was sending were my beliefs because they were kind of meant to be, hey, there's this whole world out here of people who have these thoughts. Why? And instead of me requesting information or response or giving you a little bit of background to why I was sending them, you're going like, is he trying to tell us this is how we should be
3: or that's how he is or that's... Well, how would we know otherwise?
5: Point in in case, we didn't spend the time to say it. Uh, You didn't have the time to call me back and say, are you nuts? I mean, sometimes you would do it in a text or email saying, you you know, here's this. And we started doing that fractionation. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at that. Hey, look. And all of a sudden we became frictional instead of saying, is this really what you believe?
4: You know, Todd, you asked a really challenging question. You know, how does that goal get achieved when you send inflammatory, contextless emails? And I wondered for a moment if he was going to get defensive at that point, point. Um, and he didn't, which was interesting. So maybe that's because okay, you know, he he gets it. <laughs> He's, you know, this isn't new to him. Um, but then you you got into a really what seemed to me a really rich exchange because he was hearing more from you about how this comes off. And he seemed to be you know, looking into himself a little bit to try to wrestle that dissonance. What is he trying to get out of you? If this is getting a rise out of you, what is the good of that? Um, and he said, well, maybe it's because the impression you have is that these are my beliefs. And he's coming back to, he's claiming some uncertainty here, you know, which you have to kind of decide what you, because you said, well, maybe he's dodging, right? So then I wondered what was going through your head. So that's a question I have is what was going through your head? Did you still think it was a dodge or was something getting filled in that was a blank?
3: I did still hear the, these aren't my opinions, but they actually are, but I just didn't write this. Someone else wrote it. So I get to hide behind the cover of saying, see, other people feel this way, not just me.
2: Mm -hmm. Hmm. I'm curious, Todd, I could be wrong here, but I feel like I'm hearing you say on the one hand that he, he is dodging here. In fact, he does believe these things from these emails. And these are pretty, you know, pretty right word emails. And he's kind of sort of shirking responsibility for his real beliefs. And then I'm also hearing you say, actually, when you really listen to him, his values are on the left. So which is it, do you think?
3: Yeah, it's a good it's a tough question. Because I think where a lot of the confusion for his generation comes with with things just like language, you know, and, and you know, words you are allowed to use to describe people or cultures where I think it's a hard thing for them to overcome and say, well, we've always just called them this, you know, now derogatory or inflammatory word. And we don't mean anything by it. It's just what they are. And then when they hear, well, you're not allowed to use that word anymore they feel lost and confused and like they they can't speak without getting chided by people for using the wrong language. Like they don't I belong. Think, yeah. I think for a lot of people, that's really threatening and it's it's
2: really just, yeah. just Well, nobody wants to feel like they don't belong. Yeah. That's right. kind of a, yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is that he's neither nor, like he's not, he's conservative in some ways, let's say with his uh, attachment to labels or old ways of talking about people and understanding the world. Right. And then progressive in other ways when it comes to some of his core values. Is that right?
3: I think so. Yeah. I think that's a fair way to yeah. say it.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting because our our sort of current culture, you can't be that. Mm-hmm. Mm, right. right. You got to be one or the other. And I realize now when I asked you the question, I was like, which is it, Todd? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I'm doing the thing. It's not, right? That doesn't actually fit him.
1: Mm. That's ooh. Yeah. you're you're hitting on something, Amanda, that I I heard anew in this exchange and then in Todd's answer, which is that, you know, there is something that happens between the values that you have taken in as a person and experienced in your life, and then when they become language, and then when they become labels, and then when those labels become weapons, that is is mm. violent and dehumanizing on a level. And I think he's, he's trying to rally against that. And at the end of the day, in, in my perspective, and Todd, tell me if I'm wrong here, but like, there's a certain amount of the conversational dynamics we've had before have been in this kind of debate. Like, let's win, let's argue. But if we take that off the table and we just have the, the goal to be to understand one another, then like, we can't actually have a tidy label for what dad is or either of us are or anybody is. And that uh, can feel unsatisfying and like there's no winning, so to speak. But on a level, I feel like that is more true.
2: Last week, we were reminded that everyone wants to feel understood, to be seen, especially by their loved ones. One way to understand each other better is to move beyond recycled political views and instead ask each other for stories. How do we get those views? That's exactly what Jen and Todd did. Yeah. <laughs>
5: Reframe that a little bit.
2: Um, so I'm,
1: I'm curious to know here, I actually have a question here. Um, when did you first start to think of yourself as a conservative?
5: I, I feel I'm conservative in some ways and liberal in others. So I don't identify myself with being a liberal or conservative.
3: Uh, When did you first start identifying as a Republican?
5: um, It would be midlife, probably. 30s, 40s. What I think I always go back to is when I see my relatives, they were all small business people. Uh, They all tended to be from ethnic backgrounds of some type or another, Uh, like with your mother I was born and raised in Skokie, but being a Catholic. So I was a minority in the majority. (laughs) Uh, And I was also a working man's kid amongst very elite people as far as socioeconomic structures. So I was always the kid working my way up. And that's what I'm struggling with now is I say, well, okay, I brought up my kids to be conservative. They had to earn their way to some extent. I wanted to give you that personal pride because there's nothing like the satisfaction of accomplishing something.
3: Where do you think the idea comes from that people who are more liberal or democratic don't want to work hard, don't want to accomplish, don't want to be self-reliant and just want to have everything handed to them? Where do you think that's that comes from? Because I don't, my personal belief is that's completely not true. Well,
5: it, it's is not true as that a conservative doesn't care about social activities and doesn't wanna help those in need and doesn't wanna have better education and that. It's like we're saying, well, you guys don't care about this and you guys don't care about this, yet both do. And the real difference is how do you accomplish that?
4: I'm really floored by, you know, Todd, you, you presented a, the, the stereotype against folks on your side that they don't you know, the liberals don't value work, want things handed to them. And his answer to where does that come from was to turn it around and point to a stereotype against his side. And I I found that so revealing. <laughs> so interesting. Um Yep.
3: What about ism in a bucket?
4: I mean, wow, what what did you what what did you think of in that moment because were you expecting like him to really reflect on on where that came from for him and then you got this different answer that implicated you or at least liberals
3: yeah i was hoping to get a little more reflection into like how do you think that stereotype came to be and instead it went to a whataboutism i remember during the conversation being a little disappointed but not Mm. surprised
4: Mm -hmm. that's really interesting the the other thing um was just the fact that he started to go into his background. The the 30s, the 40s, you know, um, we were business people. I felt like a minority because I was a Catholic and I was a working man's kid, you know, among other folks. And that, that was really interesting. I, I was really appreciative of him
1: starting to tell us more about what shaped him. And I, I actually got some new stories from him after that, which I hadn't heard before, that his mm. grandfather was a, a communist and was mm. part of like one of the first union uh, like unionizing efforts in America and Chicago as a garment worker um, mm. on the factory floor, and I was like, "Whoa, let's let's go into this more. This is interesting. That's cool. <laughs> like your grandpa told you is a communist on a fishing trip. Like, whoa, let's yeah talk about that. So that was cool. I, I really want to return to that the next time we have a conversation and, and try and get some more mm. of that family history."
2: These glimpses of our own personal histories beyond the same old talking points, that's exactly what we're looking for. Because, you know, we could argue all day about inflation or deficit spending, but are mostly repeating what we've heard other people say. It's more interesting and revealing to talk about how we got there, what matters most to us, who we
4: believe and who we trust. Todd, I'm curious about what if it isn't a deflection? What if it is an answer to the question? It's just coming in a different form. Hmm. What might that mean? What what could be the thing he's trying to communicate with that by bringing up that other stereotype that actually is an answer but sort of comes off, you know, at, or could be defined as this sort of frustrating whataboutism you're just deflecting?
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess the point he's making, which isn't untrue, is, you know, we tend to paint with broad brushes and, you know, categorize people according to you know, a high level set of beliefs that isn't true across the board. And there's validity there, but I don't think it adds much to the original point, which was, you know, where do you think Mm. these ideas and these stereotypes come from?
4: Right. It makes me wonder if you found a way to come back and say, well, by the way, you know, you brought up this other stereotype, which granted, but I really do want to know, where do you think that this this idea that liberal, you know, were you ever, ever able to bring it back or did it feel like he just wanted nothing to do with it?
3: Uh, Yeah, I think we just kind of went on to another topic. I I wish now with hindsight that we would have gone back to it Mm -hmm. to try to unpack it a little bit more.
2: So in other words, if you feel like you're not being heard, maybe because someone's dodging your question, try making them feel heard first and then come back to your question. The beauty of a conversation is that it's not linear. It's always imperfect. Frustration is part of the deal. And sometimes emotions boil over. As we're going to hear right after the break.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
2: We're back with Jen and Todd, siblings who want to change how they debate politics with their dad, and Monica Guzman, author of I Never Thought of It That Way. Now, it wouldn't be a real family argument without a little heat. In the snippet you're about to hear, Todd and his dad, Bruce, start talking about immigration.
5: You know, the Democrats want to leave the open borders because they get more votes, because they support those people and they come over here, so they get the vote. Uh, We put I understand you're shaking your head saying, no, that doesn't happen And that. They don't vote. They can't. What do you mean they can't? They're
1: not citizens. They're not citizens. So they can't vote.
5: Okay. Technically speaking, you're correct. When do they become able to vote?
3: When they're citizens. Right. So if you're not a citizen and you're here illegally, you cannot vote. And guess what those people are unwilling to do? Get anywhere near a polling station out of fear of getting deported. So this whole boogeyman of the open borders are to increase democratic bo- votes is unmitigated bullshit. Short term I yes, very, long term no. You know how long it takes to get to become a citizen? Five
5: you know how hard to seven it is? years.
3: It's hard. That's where this is where I get really riled up. But I'm their kids from, are citizens, I'm correct? And that takes them eighteen years to vote. So if you think there's, it's a, these border policies are a vote harvesting program is beyond Absurd.
5: But I think that's, if you take the grand scheme, it's a huge issue, but it's not really a large percentage of population or situation. It's a small percentage. It's
3: almost nothing, but it gets an outsized influence because exactly. it's emotional and it's I'm inf- getting pissed. It's inflated.
1: Okay. I, I feel like we're, we're arguing
3: So the, No, but so, this yeah. is a, yeah.
5: you're getting riled up and I'm trying to understand.
3: But you're not, you're making declarative statements of fact, which is completely wrong. And like think, the one about immigrants voting. They don't. So like, this is where I want to have more dialogue between us instead of going tit for tat with points when the points are completely
5: wrong. So how did it become a popular theme of the influence of this small percentage of
3: immigration issue? Oh, I wonder why. How could it become a popular theme? Maybe
1: take the attitude out and answer it. Okay, yes.
3: How did it... (laughs) Because there are people who have a very strong interest in getting votes and getting people to believe things that aren't true for the furtherance of their own power. And I'll leave you to guess who those people might be. Okay. And you,
5: I think we're kind of getting root cause here.
2: So, you know, this is a great example, right? I mean, you can sort of feel the you know, s- sort of simmering, seething frustration. Todd, how were you feeling? Even just listening to this now, how were you feeling then and how are you feeling now?
3: Oh God, so mad, so embarrassed. So I just, yeah, everything came swimming back right then. Because that's that's where we started getting candid. Because I think it was, mm-hmm. we had been talking for a while, so it was almost like we got comfortable with the setup and the fact mm-hmm. that there were microphones and we were doing this for a thing. and. Mm-hmm that's where I think it was a little more real and that's where Mm -hmm. it was a little more depressing to hear is like, this is the true belief. And it's just, it's not true.
2: Mm -hmm. And I, I, I really appreciate how you just said embarrassing because I think that's what makes this, the family dimension, right? So much more painful, right? Like if it's one thing, like you said earlier, if, if some random person has thoughts that I think are ignorant, but when it's your dad, right? That's very different, mm-hmm. um, and so it just is a just a totally different feeling about: Am I a good person? Is he a good person? Are we good people? What does it mean? You know, what does it all mean if he's saying these things? And I, I will also add that there was there was just a tiny just a touch of judgment <laughs> I heard in the tape, like mm-hmm. words like absurd. Unmitigated bullshit. Mm. Those are <laughs> yeah. <Yep.
3: laughs> a touch. I thought it was pretty thick judgment. I, I'm not proud of, of how I came off there. Like I was being a jerk, and it was well. Hard the mo- not it's to
2: interesting, be- right? The, it sounds like the more you feel this way of frustration, anger, exasperation, embarrassment, the more judgment mm. he's going to get in response. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is a totally normal human response, but the key to interrupting this spiral is to just slow it down any way you can. Grab a drink, take the dog out, crack a joke, whatever. Maybe, I don't know, set up a tape recorder? That seemed to help here in a weird way.
1: I mean, luckily we never got anyone walking out of the room, you know, which has happened in the past. So um, thank you,
3: tape recorder. Yeah.
1: Thank you, tape recorder for playing referee. I recommend everyone listening say we're going to record this just in case. Um, but I, I remember like not even on the, um, not on the negative side of emotions of, of like anger or, you know, frustration, but I think I felt for the first time in a long time softened toward my dad every time you know we have these kinds of conversations i end up kind of rolling my eyes whether literally or figuratively and just being like it's not worth it and to me some of the tools and the techniques you all taught us for how to listen and how to actually ask and probe felt like a positive challenge that actually yielded some softening and some like Mm. depth and I felt a softening toward my dad in a way that I hadn't for a while. I felt like I'd grown a pretty calcified layer <laughs> of my heart and mind between him. And, and there was this moment in, you know, the conversation where, where we asked him because, you know, Todd and I both have done a lot of thinking and working in these spaces and have a lot to say about it. And when my dad will throw out these rhetorical, well, you know, you can't trust anyone or you can't know this and really like, actually you can. And aren't, are you curious to ask us? Like we, we've both felt a little bit like, man, you know, you're, you're saying you're thirsty and I have a gallon of water here. Like come, <laughs> I'm inviting you and he, and he won't
2: take it. So just to explain the backstory here, Jen is a veteran journalist and also an entrepreneur who works in many ways to make the news media better, more trustworthy. So it's especially painful when her dad doesn't seem to look to her for insight. Just take a listen.
1: Etc. And I I just have to say, um,
2: the industry that
1: I'm in, the quote unquote media, when you say the media is this, you're talking about me and you're talking about my colleagues and you're talking about people who I see busting their asses and putting themselves in harm way to get facts, to get reality, to report the hell out of things in a way with extreme integrity and process.
5: Yes, I should try to research where and how it is to get that. Or
1: you ask me, I can I can help you. Like, this is what I do.
5: I'm very proud of the fact of what you guys have become of yourselves. Uh, I'm somewhat intimidated by it because I feel somewhat inadequate because I don't have the depth of inquiry and exposure that you guys have.
3: But do you feel like it has to be a tit for tat or a competition versus help me understand this? You guys have studied this. Help me understand.
1: I I really appreciate you saying that, Dad, and I you know. So how can we make it less intimidating?
5: When we're able to go into depth, I think what. Always ends up happening is we come to a conclusion that says they're not crazy. They're not so outside of compassion, caring, and will. Who's they? Again? Me. Uh, that I'm not. When I'm sending those things, I think it's somewhat saying, look at these intelligent people who are sending this stuff. I mean, this is coming from people who are educated, uh, successful, I'm kind of throwing this out, saying, I'm not alone out here. Wow.
4: Monica. Oh, wow. Guys, this is, oh my gosh. Um, Okay, where to begin? <laughs> this felt huge. Um, I mean, for him to say, I feel somewhat inadequate. You know, the truth is that I think I feel somewhat inadequate. First of all, I find that, I find it hard to believe that that could have happened in a shorter conversation.
1: Definitely not. That
4: that felt like something you had to get to. Uh, Jen, I love that you've been using the word softening. I wonder if softening was happening all around here.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, because that is not an easy thing to admit, like you said, to your children. I love that you followed up by thanking him. I appreciate you saying that, Dad. I know that that's probably tough. Um, I mean, that that was amazing. And for that to come after you and Todd, I think passionately, you know, the, the, these pieces of tape, telling him how it feels. You know, when we hear these things from you, it's particularly frustrating because you could you could come to us and we could talk about it and we're not able to have these conversations. There's declarative statements instead of questions, so there's no room for us in here. But man, that, that statement about, I feel someone inadequate, just speaks volumes to me. There's a moment with my mother that this reminds me of because we we were starting to talk about something politically contentious and I was ready to go. Like, this was going to be fun. And then she just kind of gave this really deep sigh. And I could tell that she did not feel the way I did, that this mm-hmm. was going to be fun to talk about. And I I kind of asked her, like, wait, what's going on? And she's like, well, I don't, I don't really know why I bother, Monica. Like, you're a journalist. You're an expert communicator. It just feels like you're too good. You're too good. So mm-hmm. why should I even engage, Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want to put himself in that situation. And my mom doesn't want to put herself in that situation. right? No one would want to put themselves in that situation where they feel inadequate.
2: When I interview conservatives around the country, that is a theme. It's like one of the things they're most dreading when they come to a Braver Angels conversation or Thanksgiving or wherever they encounter uh, people they disagree with politically, they're pretty sure that at some point they're going to be judged And they're going to be condescended to. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing that comes up again and again and again. And there are other things that come up on the left, right? And and everybody's different, but that's a theme. Um, And I wonder, I mean, do you think that he's wrong to feel like there's judgment in these conversations?
3: No, I don't think he's wrong. Mm -hmm. I think there is judgment. Yeah. I agree. I think that's absolutely true. I, I think not just us personally, I think... Our cohort. One of the reasons there's such a strong divide is you said it exactly right. People feel judged and condescended to and like, you know, the woke police are after them. And that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I think it is a disservice, um, you know, that that is asymmetrical in a way of, you know, you you need to give people an on ramp. And if they don't feel like there is an on ramp, then they're not going to come with you.
4: Um, Hmm. There's an author, John Rauch, who says something I've been like munching on, right? He's conservative. But he says that uh, the overwhelming emotion on the right is anger and the overwhelming emotion on the left is contempt. And I've been thinking about that one for a while. Like, oh, in which ways is it true? In which ways is it not? But uh, yeah, so much of this is ultimately emotion and whether we we do feel understood by the people close to us. So, yeah, his emails are making some sense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's really interesting Mm
2: -hmm. so remember the goal of this whole thing was to understand each other a little better and be a little better understood because political battles especially in families are almost always a proxy for something else and toward the end of their conversation todd and his dad finally got to what that something else might be
3: We can take it out of politics and everything like we talk on the phone fairly regularly. What I would love to have us be able to do is more of those questions. How are you doing? How's your job? How's work? How are you feeling about things instead of a 20 minute monologue about your trip to the doctor, which, yes, I'm interested in your health, but I don't need every last detail about your knee doctor. But I would really love to have more conversations about how are you dealing with moving across the country? How's your daughter doing in school? And I feel like those are more like afterthoughts instead of just, you know, here's word vomit about everything that's going on in my day, which I want to, I care, I want to know how you're doing and all this stuff, but I don't need details about your golf group. I want to know about you and I want you to ask me about me, you know? Well said.
1: How does that feel to, I guess, receive that?
5: It opens my eyes. Uh, it says, you know, in, why I'm doing it or how I'm doing it, habit, dictum, I don't know. Uh, because I think you know how much I care.
3: Yeah, and I, I want do. want to be
5: involved. Yet I'm not, I'm being a poor communicator or I'm not getting a, the proper exchange that I really feel and want to have. And I guess to me, my actions are good, my uh communication is weak
3: wow dirty laundry from the family
2: <laughs> <laughs> had you told him this before in so many words
3: uh maybe not as directly yeah I'll probably be indirect and sigh or kind of like all right yep you've already told me that six times let's let's go something else <laughs> um, which doesn't probably sound very good I, I don't I, I don't know, I think I sound pretty mean in that segment too, so... Yeah. Oh,
2: really? Um, how did it feel, like, his reaction? How did that land?
3: I appreciated that he didn't fire back, that he actually took it and said, that's a fair point, and I need to think about that and do it more. Mm. I don't know that it'll actually change anything.
2: It's, it's funny, because it sounds like you feel like this is a little bit separate from the other conversation. Mm. Um, but I heard it, and I could be totally way off, but... I heard it as the same conversation. Like, it felt to me like your dad, like so many dads is everywhere, (laughs) is trying to connect through monologues or politics or, you know, sort of weather. And it's not landing. That's not how people connect. And you're literally giving him the words, which I just thought was beautiful. You know, it's like, how's your daughter doing in school? How are you doing with moving across the country? And these are things that, you know, we wish people just knew. But there's a generational and a gender thing here, right? Where, you know, I don't know that men his age are all well trained in how to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes politics becomes the thing you can easily go to, right? Even when Mm -hmm. it's the exact wrong thing to go to.
4: And it's, I mean, this is interesting. Culture, what what we share, um, has gotten really fractured. And so politics is oddly... One of the things that holds us together, <laughs> which is a laughable idea, right? Because at least we all kind of sort of see the same headlines, <laughs> you know? This reminds me of my father in the last couple decades of his father's life. My grandfather would look up the soccer scores for Mexican soccer teams that he had stopped caring about a long time ago just so he could talk to his dad. That's that's how they could connect, hmm. So, yeah, there's such a gift in in getting to a place in a conversation where you're able to give each other the user manual on connection. Mm -hmm. You know, here's what actually works with me. It's a pretty tough thing to be able to say. And I don't know. I hope uh, I hope it's feedback that's taken to heart.
3: When you get down to the root of it, it's a lot less about, you know, actual political disagreements and more about. Being disconnected and then getting polarized into groups that, you know, there's there's other motives to get those groups to not like each other.
2: Yeah. Mm. Jen, what are your thoughts? I was surprised
1: how much of an actual thrill and how much easier it was to do after we kind of got over the initial hump and just got into it. And there was some kind of a thing where I'm like, I want to do this again. There, there was something so gratifying about getting to the meaning and getting to the heart of some things and, and breaking new territory. That was a beautiful byproduct. I didn't expect. I was like, okay, we'll do one of these and we'll see if we can do one again in five years. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and now I'm like, no, let's, let's start. Let's do this again. Like I'm game. The other thing I thought was just like, I should remind myself of this all the time and that. It's okay to have written notes in a high stakes conversation. And I knew that if I got into the, like the heat of things, my neocortex would like go offline and I would not have access to the great advice you both gave. And I would just kind of go primitive. And so I, I wrote down some of the questions in a phrasing that I, I wouldn't have done myself. And I, I referenced them and I said, I'm going to have notes here. And there's nothing like illegal about having notes for a conversation. Yeah.
2: Right. Like why would we prepare notes and think ahead for every other hard exactly. conversation in life except this one, right? I feel like another insight from this this whole experience was
1: just about having a conversation about the conversation going in, mm-hmm. and then a conversation about the conversation at the end of just, I don't know, whether it sounds hokey or not, it, I don't care, I think it's helpful, is to mm-hmm. appreciate what went well.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that that does come across, that even though, you know, we heard just segments, it's important, I think, to recognize that you can't get to these segments quickly. You need to go through the mess. And I think that's part of what scares people, the mess. But a conversation is forgiving. And I think mm-hmm. we forget that too. Especially, you know, thank you social media, right? We have a lot to thank social media for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of those things is the idea that we can't edit ourselves, that we can't, we can't, um, you know, say something to make what we said earlier more of what we meant to say. But a conversation does allow for that. It can take a lot of missteps it can handle it um Hmm. and you'll find out what you're really talking about
2: have you heard from your dad how do you think this went for him
3: i was with him i was with him on saturday we were at a birthday party together
2: oh
1: yeah that's right well tell me the freshest because i think i spoke to him before we didn't talk about it (laughs) it didn't come up (laughs) I, i did speak to my dad um and i did say Okay, let's talk about how how that conversation go for you. And overall, he said it gave him a lot to think about. And he had been thinking about it. And he said he wanted us to have a less one-sided conversation the next time and to ask more questions of us, which to me was like, ding, ding, ding. I, I just wanted to do one of those like, hops where i click my feet together, but I'm too old and I would (laughs) injure myself if I tried. But that felt really good to know that that was one of the takeaways. And he also, of course, then went on for 20 minutes about how he thinks democracy needs saving and what his plan would be. But those other things were in there too, which is new.
7: Hey, Jen. It's Dad. Uh, I listened to the podcast, uh, Chapter 1, and uh, was very impressed. Uh, I didn't realize how you were coached by such eloquent uh, sponsors. I'm glad we were able to have a conversation uninterrupted by any outside influences, phones, emails, texts, people, kids. That gave us the attention to really talk. Uh, identifying that uh, you were so offended by things that I felt were just kind of bear-poking. Uh, so I apologize for being divisive, but uh, my goal was under no circumstances to make you feel uh, that those were my total viewpoints. Basically, I think if we took 70% uh, as a number picked out of the air, uh, of Americans want the same things. Uh, we're good moral people who are trying to build a better country uh, and do it through our elected officials who are no longer public servants. And I think that's probably what distresses me both, that both parties have chosen this path of extremism on either side so that they can get that last ounce of vote to win power uh, and then not come back to the table and conciliatorily affect good government. And that's what I think we all need to attack, is hold our elected officials accountable for what they're doing to our country and our money. So thanks a lot.
2: Thank you, Bruce. You have just done, along with your kids, what so many of our elected officials have not yet done, which is to come to the table and have a real conversation with dignity and respect about what really matters. Thank you for showing us how it's done. And thank you to Monica Guzman for being such a patient and wise guide and so generous with her time. Definitely check out her book, I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times. Finally, thank you. Yes, I'm talking to you for listening. I hope you found this helpful and hopefully feel a tiny bit more prepared heading out into the world during the midterms and Thanksgiving and whatever comes next. We'd love to hear from you if you try out any of these techniques, even if they don't work the way you wanted them to. We're very interested. We're always interested. Send us a note at at howto@slate.com, or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. That's also where you can always reach us with any other hard problems that you need help solving. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson and Kevin Bendis produced this episode. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening.